Hey, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I was really excited to speak to you. We met before once in, in the shop in Dubai and obviously doing all the research about you was really exciting and seeing what you do and how, how you go into Leomo and all the technical details of everything. And I want to give a quick uh, introduction. You're 30 years, 39 years of age. Uh, you won Crocodile Trophy, which is one of the hardest mountain bike races in Australia in 2004 and 2005. Um, you were the Tour Down Under mountain classification winner in 2014. You have an amazing record of 20 consecutive Grand Tours. I think the former record was only like 10 or 9 tours. And it was for 57 years that that record stand. Um, 25 Grand Tours in total. Uh, which I, I calculated is about 87,500 kilometers in the tour. So you take 3,500 per tour. You won the stage in Giro and in the Vuelta. Um, you're known as the handyman of the Peloton. I think you, you help people to fix uh, stuff and they, they knock at the door and said, is the office still open? Um, <laughs> you're building your, own, building your own lightweight shoes, which I thought mm -hmm. is quite amazing, super lightweight and super stiff. And I, I have a few questions later, how you make them UCI uh, legal. You have written software uh, for Lotus Sudal for the management of the team because that was, I think, was your first career. Um, and I found out you speak German. Guten Abend. Uh, welcome to the show. But we do it in English, yeah? Um, uh, Adam Hansen, I'm very excited. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, you have been in Germany, I think, with your first team in Freiburg um, with Team Telekom. And you've been in the sports university in Freiburg, and I'm born in Freiburg. So what are the memories you have for Freiburg? Um, actually, I was, it was very nervous uh, at the time for me. Because at the, uh, what happened was is I was riding for a team in Austria, and uh, my manager actually set me up with a performance test in the, the Freiburg University. And there was there was three of us there, and they said they'll take the strongest two riders, whoever did the, the performance test. So I was there, and I was... I actually knew this like two weeks before or three weeks before. So I really, <laughs> I structured my training just to, for, the, for an FTP test. And um, yeah, so for me, it was, uh, I was very nervous because, you know, um, based on my result was, uh, yeah, if I get a, a shot with the team or not. Very good. I went there as well. And once I had done the test, they said I should open a bike shop instead of getting a pro cyclist. <laughs> my few minutes of fame on the, on the ergometer in, in my book. I want to take you to the beginning. How, how was it all starting with your cycling career and, and who inspired you to become a cyclist? Um, well, I did a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of different sports when I was younger. And I did, uh, actually, I started with uh, triathlons, well, running. And then I went from running to triathlons to triathlons. And my cycling was not so good. So what I wanted to do was... Well, first my swim wasn't good, and then I really specialized in swimming, and I went to a, like a Olympic uh, trainer down the Gold Coast. So I went down there for six months and really specialized in swimming to improve my swim leg. Then my swim was super good, and my run was good, but my cycling was very bad. So then I decided to focus more on cycling, and then I had the opportunity to go to Austria and do some cycling races. And I thought if I do one or two seasons, I could improve my bike leg. And um, yeah, I just really loved the the European racing and road racing and yeah sort of said goodbye to triathlons and just stuck with um, cycling. Very good and who was a rider in that era who motivated you who was the person in your head when you started your racing 
you were kind of thinking about any any writer, any particular one? Yeah, my favorite writer at that time was Vinokurov. Um, he was for me. He was unpredictable. He could win anything. He never followed the rules in terms of like you know racing tactics or that. He would do attacks in the final and win you know Champs Liège and the sprint final. He would win mountain stages. He would go for GC. Um, he was he was exciting to watch. Very nice. Um, and I, I heard you saying once you were brought up doing everything at the 100% level. So who, who taught you? Was it your father, your, your, your family, your father, brothers? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, definitely my father in that sense. He's always said, you know, do things once and do it right. Um, it was always a mentality. And also, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. Um, that also. So, yeah, but definitely always, yeah, give it 100% and um, never look back. Very good. If you go home after a long time, what's a food and a favorite dish your mom is preparing for you when you come home after a long time? Um, that's a good question. Um, well, my, my diet's totally changed the last four years. So <laughs> I, I would have said, and I shouldn't say this now, but my favorite meal when I was going home would, would be lamb, lamb shanks. Um, but okay. now that I'm a vegan, I don't have that anymore. Um, normally when I, when I go home, my mum enjoys when I cook, so more the other way around now. I heard once as well somebody saying you're an original thinker and I think what you do with all the racing and with all the equipment you produce for yourself, I thought it was quite a, a compliment and you said as well that you really enjoy problem solving and, and I, I use this actually for the last couple of weeks but I said that's actually a nice view into having a problem and then really enjoying a problem solving. So. Mm -hmm have done quite a lot of original thinking for the sport of cycling yeah i well i love problem solvings and you know this comes from you know i was a programmer before and every task you get when you write software there's so many different ways and methods you can get the end product and you have to work out how you're going to do the formula or how you write the functions and and um which direction you want to go and every problem that i have is just or every problem that anyone has, you just got to work out the best solution. And this is the same with um, me making my shoes or um, with anything. It's, uh, yeah, it's, I think also like in today's world with the internet and the access of information, when people say they can't do something, for me it's like, well, you know, with all that information in the palm of your hand, you can do anything. You just got to work it out yeah. and there's, there's no excuse for anyone. Yes, and obviously you have earned yourself the name as the handyman of the peloton. Uh, what, what things you're getting asked for? I know you. You. I thought it was an interesting thing that you said you're cutting all the cables of your laptop chargers, and you make a longer cable and a more softer cable onto the charger as the screw. Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, when you travel lots, uh, the hotel rooms always the PowerPoints are not always where you want them and things like that, and laptop cables always too short. So. Um, I buy my own cables and I, yeah, I cut them and I make them longer and uh, more flexible so they fit my bag easier. Um, at the races, I bring a little like toolbox, um, which is like, uh, yeah, you know, those like, uh, you call them like fishing boxes, the toolkits where you've got all the slots in there and I carry like everything. So when there's a problem, um, someone's got a problem with the laptop or phone or something, um, yeah, I'm always the first one to fix it. If someone needs their shoes repaired or like the bowler system that needs to be relaced or something, um, I have all the tools, all, uh, the tools open up everything. 
Um, I always carry like epoxy with me in case, you know, something uh, needs to be glued back to normal, back to uh, <clears throat> together. Um, yeah, usually I like to have, I like to see, like, if you look at my backpack, I have everything in there, like everything. Like, um, yeah, I, I just like to repair. And um, yeah, so when there's a problem, I'm always the person that they come to. Even sometimes mechanics ask me for stuff too, which is kind of funny. Very good, very good. So they knock on your door and they said, uh, Adam, is the office still open? And then they know they can get some help or, or not? Well, they joke with this, but they always know the office is always open because I'm, <laughs> I'm always the last to sleep. It's actually a little funny, like when the doctors at night, they always go to the rooms and see if the riders are healthy and things like that. And the doctors always come to our room last or whatever I'm rooming with because they know I'm always last to go to bed. And also, like, I... <clears throat> You know, I'm always trying to absorb information from people and I, I have a lot of respect for the doctors and I've always got questions asked them and they know I, I always take the time because I'm always thinking of different ideas and methods like nutrition or training or how the body works and so every time the doctor comes to my room I like to interrogate him and just try and you know absorb as much information as possible but yeah the office is yeah it's always open always so you must have lots of friends in the peloton so normally you don't get dropped or they, they never really ride against you because <laughs> if they have a problem with the laptop they might get stuck for sure you should always have friends in the peloton you always need someone to help you <laughs> very good um we'll prepare the little clip and i want to show this little clip about your career just that we, we show people how a day in your office looks like so will okay. if you mind if you start that clip Yeah, amazing, fantastic. Um, take us back to 2013, uh, first or the, the seventh stage in the Giro Italia. Uh, that was the first clip we saw. Uh, how much do you remember from from that day? Oh, everything. Um, the, I remember the, the day before was, was definitely a breakaway stage, and I, I remember shaving all my hair off. And I put on Twitter the day before going in the break. Who wants to come with me? And then, um, yeah, I was in the break, and uh, as you saw in the clip, there was, uh, as the breakaway got a bit thinner, there was, um, Stella was with me, um, and I was pretty determined to be, <laughs> he's, uh, you know, he's a pure climber, and um, that stage is around the Torino area, so it's, you know, it's very hilly, and I remember just him and I, and he, like, one part of the clip, you see that I'm getting away from him on the climb, because the roads were wet and we had trouble getting traction so he could only stand up and I could get the power out by sitting down so I was really trying to yeah, put the pressure on him there and uh, 
and I was uh, I was uh, yeah super happy to uh, be the guy like that and and with the bunch you know they were going crazy trying to catch us and it was hard because it was super slippery and super weird and dangerous and um, yeah I was able to hold it up right and uh, come to the finish in one piece. Fantastic! I think both of the the I looked at both of the stages. And I thought the situation, how you won was super impressive because obviously it was a solo victory and it, it looked to me almost that the sprint teams were really chasing. It was not like that. It was a, a big gap and it was really down to a few minutes and just an amazing victory. And in the second clip, I thought it was quite interesting to see as well how narrow your, your handlebar setup is. That, that was quite unique, I feel. And, and uh, how do you remember the second, uh, that was then 2014 in the Vuelta, stage 19. What do you remember from today? Yeah, well, um, I, had a, um, I went through a period where we didn't have so many sprinters in our team, um, at a lot of the Grand Tours, so I could always do attacks in the final. And, and I always had this opportunity I could do it. And this stage was really good because there was a big climb before and all the, a lot of the domestics were dropped, which really, you know, really helps in your favor if you're an attack in the final because then there's less people to chase you down <clears throat> because you have a lot of lead-out guys really waiting because there's no, there's no help from the rest of the team. And there was, you know, a climb, I think it was uh, I forgot, maybe four or five K before the finish. And I went on the climb and I just kept hitting them. I think I did like three attacks in a row to try and get clear. And I, I got clear. And yeah, there was I think three sprinters, Michael Matthews, John Davenkoff, and there was a few others. And yeah, they didn't have so many workers. They like they had one each, <clears throat> bit disorganized, but they really tried. And yeah, but I was, you know, I was giving 100%. And, you know, if they, I think they waited like four seconds and that was it. I was, that was enough to, you know, uh, make the gap. And, okay, it was very short, um, uh, different from first and second. But, um, yeah, it was enough to get the win. And, and for me, this is my favorite win because it was, you know, in the final, you see Valverde, like, just behind me when I did the attack. And guys were, like, thinking twice if it was too early or not. And it was, you know, a good group of riders. And, um, yeah, for me, this is the nicest one. No, fantastic, fantastic win. Um, obviously, the record of 20 Grand Tours in a row, that's six six and something years consecutive going for a Grand Tour and going three Grand Tours, that has never been done, not even remotely close. Uh, how, how did you figure that out that you can do that? Well, I never believed I could. <clears throat> I just, like, I like I'm a bit of an extremist and I always want to do three Grand Tours in a year. And I did that and I loved it. I really loved this type of racing and um, just the, yeah, this format of your race program. So <clears throat> when I did it once, I asked if I could do it again. I did it again. And then after two years, someone said, oh, you should go for the record. And I had no idea there was a record. And I, bit, I laughed it off a little. I thought, ah, it's impossible because, okay, first, it's super hard to do all the so many Grand Tours. <clears throat> Second, we have crashes like you cannot imagine. Like, you know, we always, there's always riders crashing out. So you've got to be really lucky in that sense. <clears throat> then your health, you've got to be healthy, not get sick because so many riders get sick and go home. And when you're doing so many grand tours, it's a lot of stress from the immune system and that. Um, so just with all this in my head, I was like, ah, oh, I don't think it's possible. And I just, for me, it was like, I'll just keep going because I enjoy it and I'll see where it takes me. And I, <clears throat> I was really surprised I could, Get so far. Um, I did have like I broke my sternum in one of the in one of the Giro's and I had to finish with a broken sternum. I dislocated my shoulder pretty badly in the tour, one of the years, and it was when we had the Paris Roubaix stage and that was hell. I, that was two days after I dislocated my shoulder. Um, 
but yeah, I, I, apart from those two incidents, um, yeah, it was a, um, it was very lucky with um, not crashing and also not getting sick. Okay, I take very good care of myself. That's true, and I'm very helpful. I try to be a very healthy person. That definitely helped also. And you've been really uh, consistent as well with the teams. Obviously, you were in this legendary HTC Columbia and Team Telecom HTC Columbia team. Uh, and now Lotto Sudal uh, in different names and different configurations now for, for so many years. Uh, you like the consistency of all the teams? You just like the team, the Belgium team? Or what, what keeps you there for so long? Um, <laughs> I, well, if I say it in a positive way, I think um, I, I don't think it's so big and right has changed teams all the time. So I think, um, uh, when you, I think when you see a rider and there's always one you here, one, two, there, one you're there. Um, I think... Uh, yeah, I think teams. Well, I'm not going to not going to generalize too much, but you do see a pattern where some riders they just keep going through teams, teams, teams. And when you see a rider at a team, generally for a long period of time, the team's happy with the rider, and also the rider's happy with the team. Um, for me, you know, like I said, the Team Mobile HGC Columbia that was one team, Lotto and Sadol and Omega Pharma and all of that that was also one team. So I've only been on two professional teams for my whole career. Um, the HCC team was incredible beyond. It was really nice to be on this team. Mm -hmm. And the Belgian team, you know, it's, it's very, for me, it's very relaxed team. Um, I have a lot of freedom there. Um, and it's always a good group of guys. We had Andre Greipel and his gang, and that was, I really enjoyed these years with Andre. It was probably one of the, the best years of my career. And um, now we've got, you know, Caleb, um, super young, super talented, super good. And it's also a nice group of guys also. So there's no reason for me to change it at all. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, I mean, Andre, Andre was on the show a couple of weeks back, uh, which was really interesting to speak to him. Um, and now you have some, some super strong writers with Thomas de Gant, uh, Caleb Ewan, John Dagenkolb. So, and your job is, is at the end of the race, is it the last two kilometers, five kilometers, where's normally your position in the lead out or further, further towards the end, so last yeah. thousand meters? Yeah, um, it depends um, what race, well, what other riders are there. So normally my job is to just, um, so like, for example, in Tour Down Under this year and also uh, UAE, I have the captain role on the sprint day. So I, I basically I keep control of the guys pulling on the front and make sure they're not going too hard um, because that's one thing a lot of riders do is a mistake. When they're riding on the front, they're riding too hard. And if they ride too hard, you're saving the other team. So you should actually ride as easy as possible and burn out the other rider because you want to burn out the other rider on the other team. So if you're racing, let's say, quick step for, for the sprint also, you want to use that rider as much as possible and save our rider. Because if you do all the work, you're saving him and it's like six versus seven. So I make sure that, you know, because there's always young guys working at the start of the race, just get them to just really use as little as energy as possible and try and burn out the other team so we have an extra guy for the lead out. And then my job is to sort of start the train and just <clears throat> sort of um, don't don't take the lead, but always position them in good position to make sure we don't go too early. But when when I go, that's when that's when the team goes. And I got to look at the situation, see how many lead outs guys on the other teams um, and just make sure we don't get boxed in. Sometimes I have to do a big move to come to the front and close the other teams in. Um, and it's really, yeah, this can sometimes, and because I, I make the choice, it can be 5K from the start. And sometimes I can use other teams, but I try and use other teams. I, I just don't come out in the wind. 
And if I can use other teams, then sometimes my job, I can start at two kilometers or 1.5 kilometers. And it's really, you know, um, yeah, based it on the race situation and how and how many riders from the other teams. And yeah, it's really, uh, it's not so crystal clear. That's, yeah, if that makes sense. Very good. So I need a tip for Friday morning. You know, we have our Friday morning group ride about a hundred kilometer. Uh, our, our common friend Frenchie is sometimes there. So how, how should, how should use them. I should use them up and then attack, um, beat the situation a little bit better. Maybe I have to do this. Yeah. Or do you have any other tips I can use for Friday morning? Yeah. Well, there's always there's always um, there's always some excited riders. You know, they always want to show themselves. And um, especially like in our racing, and you know, you see it on the Saturday rides also. There's always guys that want to show themselves and and you should let them, you know, you let them do their effort in the front and just use them as much as possible. And then, yeah, keep after that. Very good. If you put the helmet on, you put your race helmet on, how much of your personality changes um, from from the, the nice guy who fixes other people's laptop to racing and, and being full on focused and racing and, and don't let anyone pass uh, and protecting your sprinter. So how much your personality is changing? That's a, that's a, that's a good question. Um, yeah, it's, how do I say this? Um, you know, I, I think my biggest problem is I've got a lot of friends in the bunch and like I got a lot of friends that I know and that, and I always let guys in, in a situation where I think it's not so important where you, you really, you know, um, let's say protect your sprinter and things like that. And I see some guys, they, they're a bit too, say, stubborn and strong and, you know, they really want to hold their ground. In a situation, it might be 80 kilometers before the finish. And what I've noticed is the more you let other guys in, the more they let you in. And you can actually use this to your advantage. So sometimes, you know, I, if, if I see a situation where if he comes in, cuts me off right now, doesn't change my situation, I always let him in because subconsciously he will let you in one day and you can okay. use this to your advantage but there are times in a race and it's 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 super hard to do sometimes because you can have your best friend right next to you and you have your whole team behind you and you're like no nah, sorry not today <laughs> this is really crucial moment you cannot you cannot <laughs> box my team in now and that's when I, I do it friendly and i always apologize afterwards and it is, it is a difficult thing to do because i have good friends in other teams but you know we we at the end of the day we all understand the situation and um yeah. i'll never take out a rider but um but yeah it's, sometimes it is hard to do to your friends what's your favorite race of all the races is there one you want to win in particular my favorite race um you know i like the Well, I like, um, I always like national championships in Australia because it's always so unpredictable um, who would win. I've always wanted to win nationals, a world race. But I like, um, actually, Frankfurt is one. It's not the biggest race, but I really like Frankfurt race. I really, every year I enjoyed it. I like this, I like this type of racing where you have like the big circuits and then you sort of have the finished circuits with the climb in it. And I'm not... I'm not, a, I'm not a super climber, but I'm not a bad climber. And for me, it's always, if I'm in good form, I really like these races because I can play an important part in the final. And if it's a sprint, I can, if I get over these type of climbs and my sprinter's there, I can be super useful for the sprinter. Um, but yeah. I like these type of races. And Hamburg also, this is another race to really like. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, 
What do you think is the next big thing? Because obviously you're thinking always a little bit different than others. What do you think is the next big thing in cycling uh, we, we haven't seen yet and, and we, we, will, we will get to notice a bit more in a few months or years? You mean like in, in the races or? Yeah, racing or technical things. What do you see? What do you think is the next, the next thing? Well, if, I, if you're going to say technical, I, I know I'm a bit biased with this. I really believe in, um, you know, as you said, to start with the limo and the motion yes. uh, technology, analyzing. I really, this is one thing I really believe in. Um, so definitely, uh, yeah, definitely with the, the limo, with the motion sensors, how the body moves. Um, this is this is getting really interesting because, you know, first we had heart rate, which is what we based our training off. And you can see very clearly heart rate was the only tool we had. And then we had SRM came in with the power meter, which changed everything because um, power is a real unit of measurement that uh, the rider outputs. And now with the motion technology, we can actually, it's with Lima, we can actually see how the rider produces that power. And, you know, 400 watts is 400 watts. That's true. But a rider might be not efficient and create 400 watts doing a lot more work than another rider super efficient um, producing the same wattage and this is another energy saving uh, tool that you can use to yeah make you um, a much better rider in that sense so that's that's definitely from the the training point of view I, something I really believe that'll come it's a bit it's a bit fresh now and like like I remember when the power meter SRM power meter came out a lot of people a lot of people hated the power meter because the number heart rate was always you know you do an effort, heart rate slowly goes up, and then when you sort of stop the <clears throat> during the the interval, the heart rate was plateaued, and when you finish, it slowly goes down. And riders could understand heart rate really easy. And when the power meter came out at the start, people couldn't understand it because the power would go straight up when you do an interval, and then you can have one second off and goes to zero, and the number is always fluctuated, and that. So power was, you know, I remember when that first came out, it was hard to adopt for the riders, and now with the motion technology, it's it's another level. Um, bit more difficult to understand and I see some riders are struggling with this but when you have a good understanding it's um yeah it's crystal clear also like the powers so from a technical point of view that from a racing point of view you know it's going to I think a lot's going to change now because of coronavirus um <clears throat> you know how we do things now and the type of races so this is I think this is a bit hard to predict in the future you have seen as well now many, many years of cycling. And what would be a tip you give yourself when you look back to 2003 when you started racing? Uh, what tip would you give yourself from, from knowing what you know in 2020 going back to 20, uh, 2003? Um, <clears throat> definitely, uh, yeah, training much better. Training, nutrition, I think um, definitely nutrition. What I've, what I've learned in the last few years with nutrition it's it's this is the most underlooked thing i think in um definitely in cycling and sports nutrition can play such a big factor on your just the type of training you're doing and just for like just for an example if you if you're doing a long ride burning fat in your fat zone yes. just by having a sugar drink can change your whole energy system just by mm -hmm. drinking the wrong type of drink can change your whole type of training and you could be doing the same into the same set, um, constant ride, same wattage, and everything. But by having sugar, will change the, the type of energy system you're using. And I think um, all training programs should have nutrition next to it. 
Um, it's that you're doing a high intensity surfing or you're doing a recovery day or something like that. And I wish I knew more about nutrition when I was younger. I think it, um, yeah, I think it's a huge factor. And what do you do if you have a long session, if you do like a, a, a basic ride and, and a not lower level intensity ride, uh, what would you eat when you say, okay, you, you want to avoid carbohydrates uh, in a way? So what, what is your nutrition coming from? You, you're working mostly on fats or what, how, how would you explain this to somebody who is uh, new? Well, you know, the, the rave about ketones for, at the moment. So yeah. and this is, I like to give this example because a lot of people relate to the ketones and how they help. So key, the idea of ketones is it's a different form of energy source and you won't win a bike race with ketones but yes. this is the theory i don't i don't i'm not a believer in ketones but this is the theory on it the theory is you take ketones and your body uses this as energy and it spares your glycogen the glycogen mm. is what will win the bike race this is the, the sugar in the in, in your blood and your liver and your muscles that really give the, the best energy system and the problem is in a long race like milan san remo was a perfect example and in a race like this you burn, you burn all your glycogen throughout the race. And when you do the Poggio, super easy climb, super easy climb. But when you do it after 300 kilometers, it's super yeah. difficult. And if you don't have the glycogen stores, then, you know, you can be the best rider in the world. But if you have no glycogen, you, you, you're going to struggle on the climb. So when you're doing like a long ride, for example, you should really promote your fat burning. And the more you can promote your fat metabolism, then you're really sparing your glycogen. And it works the exact same way as the theory of ketones. So you want to improve your fat metabolism as best as possible so you can have your glycogen for the end of the race. So if you're doing like a long, slow, steady ride, it has to be in your fat zone. It really, you know, you really have to stay within your, your fat, your maximum fat burning. If you go too hard, um, yes. it actually kicks you out and it can take 20 minutes before you start burning fat again. So if you're going through a traffic light, don't accelerate, doing a small little climb, you know, don't ride 30 kilometers on the flat and 30 kilometers on the mountain. Really go much easier and just keep the same wattage. Um, and if you have like a sugar drink, it'll cause an insulin spike. As soon as you have an insulin spike, this hormone blocks you from accessing your body fat. And mm. just by having a sip of, you know, your, your typical isotonic drink, you're actually blocking your body from using fat as an energy source. And then you're really dependent on the sugar and you have to keep taking the sugar because if you don't have enough sugar, but you create an insulin spike, that's when you're really at your limit. And mm -hmm. if you just have no sugar and your insulin is more plateaued, then you have access to your body fat and you can actually do a long ride or a very constant high wattage, constant ride enough by getting fat, your, your body is able to use that as an energy source. But by blocking it off, by having insulin spike, that's when you sort of get dizzy and you sort of bonk a little. So your nutrition can play a, a very big part. And when you're doing, I always think if you're doing a long ride, do a long ride. Don't do intervals in it. Don't go too hard. Don't go too easy. Do a really constant. If you do an interval day, make a pure interval. It doesn't have to be a long day. It can be two hours. If you do the quality work, it's fine. But do everything at 100%. And that way you can do your maximum interval days, okay. your maximum strength days, and your maximum long days. What do you eat then on a long, long, uh, lower intensity ride when you want to go into your fed resources? Do you eat anything or you just have water? Or what, what would be a, a snack you have on the ride? I'm not a good person to ask because you shouldn't do what I do. Um, I, uh, I'll have no breakfast. I'll, I'll do a fasted ride, um, depending on the intensity. Um, so, for example, 
two weeks ago, I did this trip where I rolled 325 kilometers in one direction. I spent the night there. I did a ride with a few people and then I rode back. The first six hours, I ate nothing. And so I had no breakfast, six hours, nothing. And I just slowly fed. So I had some, um, I baked some sweet potatoes and I took just three sweet potatoes. It's a real starchy carbohydrate. So it's not like sugar where, you know, creating a massive insulin spike. It's a slow release. So your glycogen levels are more fatal. And when you do it like this, you it's easier to take from fat also. So you're giving enough for your body to survive and um, from a glycogen point of view, and you, you can also access your body for that. Um, so it's more about slowly feeding and not having um, your fast sugars, but more starchy. So I go for the more starchy foods on the long days. If it's a smaller long ride, so let's say five hours, um, then I'll, yeah, I'll happily do it with nothing, no food at all. And um, but I've been I've been doing this for years, and I've also built up to it. So if I recommend someone to do it, I would say don't have breakfast, start your ride, and then after 20 minutes have like a quarter of a bar. Every 20 minutes have a quarter of a bar. And then you can progress that to half an hour, nothing, and then 20 minutes, and then one hour, and every 20 minutes, and an hour and a half. And you'll see that your riders pick it up super fast. It's um people people first think it's impossible, but you can actually pick it up really quickly. Mm -hmm. And you feel like after the ride, you always take a protein, kind of a, almost a bit of a protein shot and shock for the body that you that you give him enough protein, and and you I think you limit your protein take uh, for for certain occasions. Is this correct? So um, yeah, it's interesting. Like with the with the protein, what you should do is we do this after racing. Um, so first, the first thing you do is have a fast sugar. So in the past, we used to have a Sprite or a Fanta or something like this. That's the first thing you do because you cannot do a muscle recovery if your glycogen stores are depleted. So first, you've got to fill up your glycogen stores. And so now we have a special drink from Sunus, which is a bit more healthier than a Sprite or a Fanta, mm -hmm. but it does the exact same thing. And when you have this fast sugar, you have a massive insulin spike. And when you have a massive insulin spike, that's when you're at the most anabolic state. So when you go to that anabolic state, that's when you have your protein just after that. So your protein can be used to um, yeah, uh, get maximum um, muscle recovery. If you just take protein without the sugar, fast sugars before, you won't have that um, anabolic state with the insulin spike, and you actually won't recover as good if you, if you don't have that sugar. So you have to have the, the sugar is actually really important um, mm -hmm. to have the maximum um, yeah, muscle recovery with the protein, obviously. Very good. That's very good. Thank you so much. I think that's very helpful as well for our listeners uh, who are always looking for some extra tips. Um, I have a few questions again about the Peloton and so on. Uh, who was your best roommate in, in these, these years? And who is the funniest guy in the Peloton? I have to say my best roommate is John Dagenkoff. Okay. Now, I've only roomed with him at training camp this uh, last December. So I've never roomed with him at a race, but we had probably the best about two weeks. I, seriously, he was one of the, the best roommates I've ever had. Um, he was super good. Uh, and I look forward to do a race with him this year. I hope I can do a race with him this year because we had a lot of fun. Um, I really like John. Um, the funniest guy, I would have to say, he doesn't race anymore, but I have to say this guy because he is leagues above everyone else, is Vicente Reynas. He's a Spanish rider. He was with us in HTC and also came with us to Lotto. 
um, and he is just the the funniest guy you will ever meet. And he just always brought, just thinking about him, I laugh. He always made the mood good, no matter what situation. He was always, he was, he really held the team together the worst days. It was really good to have him on the team. Very nice. Is there any rider you look up to at the moment in the peloton, or you think, okay, he's just above everybody else right now? Um. <clears throat> You know, like I, I, I have more respect for riders like, um, you know, Victor Kampenarts yes. and um, Rowan Dennis, these two riders especially. <clears throat> Probably mostly more Victor, not because, you know, when you, when you ask the question if someone's really above someone else, I think yes. there's always going to be someone uh, talented, super good. But I, I, I more look up to riders, especially Victor, in the way he, <clears throat> he does everything for society. Like this, this is mind blowing what he does. He will, you know, um, I help him set up with his altitude um, mm -hmm. system that he had and he will have like four generators and we do the pipes in a special way so we can get the altitude um, uh, tend to maximum height. Um, and he's like, he does altitude perfect. He does his diet perfect. He does his core training perfect. He does his bike position perfect. He's, he was, when he was doing the one hour record, he was like, okay, how can we put the chain ring from the right hand side to the left-hand side on the bike because it'll do smaller circles and it'll be more aerodynamic. This is this is just the way he's thinking. I was like, well, okay, you can swap the cranks around because the pressure um, bottom bracket is easy to do. And um, okay, the disc wheel you can you know it's fixed, so we can swap it around. But you probably have to put two screws in the sprocket because the other way tightens the cog, and when it's this way, it loosens the cog just to be safe. And I was like, in theory, it should work. And Campagnolo was like, no, no, no. <laughs> It's got to be like this, but he does everything. Like really, you know, like during every stage, I remember him in the Giro last year, he was always practicing his, his tuck every single day, like just for like 10 to 15 minutes doing core training. And the, the dedication he was doing was just, it's just mind blowing. And I don't want to say he's not a good athlete, but a lot of it comes from his preparation, his training, and um, just how he looks into all the details. And to me, when someone does this, this is really impressive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, I read something, or I saw something, you helped him as well with Leomo, uh, with the setup, and you saw he was very smooth in his pedaling style. Um, so maybe just to explain what Leomo is, and maybe you can do this as well for, for the listeners so they understand uh, what are we talking about when, when we speak about Leomo. We have actually one system uh, I, I got maybe two years ago, I bought one, one of the first systems uh, and I'm all excited about these, these products as well. Yeah, it's, it's a very, um, Limo's a very, very interesting system. So Limo, you know, you put sensors on your feet, your um, thighs and your um, sacrum, <clears throat> so your pelvic, and you can put them anywhere you want on your body and you can measure, you measure the body movement. So um, with Victor, when he changed from uh, Lotto to um, NTT, so BMC bikes, um, we captured his position. So we put the sensors on him on his old bike and we captured how much his legs move up and down and how much he rotates in the pelvic and his foot angle ranges, everything. And we, we captured that and we replicated that on his new bike. And we want it exactly the same because as you know, saddles, they have a different foam on the top and you can measure the height to be the same height, but when the rider sits on it and the weight, it can be different height when he's on the bike. And also, um, I gave some good examples like with my bike, when I sit on the seat, because of my the type of seat post I have, it changes 2.5 degrees the seat when I'm sitting on it. So, mm -hmm. and if I have a different seat post and different seat, yes. the seat won't flex. 
Okay. But what's important is not the bike, what you are, what your pelvic angle is and how much your legs move up and down. So we capture the, the rider and make sure the rider is moving the exact same on both bikes. And that's what we just did that. And this is, this is the beauty of the lean all system because you're actually measuring the rider and not the bike. And you can really capture and replicate the same position on two different bikes. And uh, I believe you also have like a geobiomized system in yes. your shop. Yes. Yeah. So I love the system also because yes. this measures the, the pressure mapping of how the pelvic moves on the saddle. Yes. And this is important because, you know, because uh, with geobiomized, the theory is more contact um, points and pressure points. And what they want to do is have you as, as stable as possible on the, on the saddle and, you, and spread out the pressure. And what we found is, because I've uh, been trained with uh, geobiomized, with bike fitting, um, what we found is with the limos, it's the, the theory is exactly the same. We, yeah. we measure how much the pelvic moves. And with the geobiomized, you see it on the, um, on the computer screen, the black line of where you go and all the pressure points. And with the limo, it's, yeah, it's the same. So you see the movement and the rocking and also the um, rotation. And you want the, the pelvic as stable as possible. So the power is transferred to the crank. You don't want a situation where you're pushing and the pelvic's going backwards. You want to, you know, really solid yeah. all the power's going forward. And with Victor, we, we, we actually created a new MPI with Lemo because of Victor, um, because we noticed that a sensor on his thigh, he has super smooth pedaling efficiency. And um, when I test amateur riders, they're, they're terrible at this. And you really see the pros with that time. And Victor is a guy, you just, he's, he's your base for your, your reference everything to, because he's like accelerometer X on the thigh sensor is just perfectly smooth. When he, when he's at the top of the stroke, the accelerometer just goes perfectly down. There's no, a lot of riders have a little hiccup mm -hmm. and it's a bit of a power loss and he is just exceptional. And you can you can improve this a lot with um, bike fitting and um, different seat heights and um, seats and things like that and strengthening your calf muscle because there's also, when you do ankling, this also um, creates a little kink in the uh, accelerometer and the, and the z-axis so this does help that you can you know you can uh, modify it a little um but it's just a lot of it's muscle uh training muscle memory did you find leomo or leomo found you after they know how technical you are how, how was this cooperation coming along yeah it was actually um interesting um they actually approached me and i think uh they, they at the start the company struggled a lot because it's a very complicated device and it's a lot of information it's a real lot of information so they came to me um hoping that i'd understand it and i yeah i, I tried it and i tested it and i understood it and i, I love it I, I think it's um for me it's like the game boy of um of cycling now and you really see you really see how you move on the bike and you can see like oh like i crashed last year in um Pays Basque and i just tore the whole side lost skin on the whole one side of my body and you see it on the lead my flies you see because it measures your left right left and right leg on your foot and your thighs and your pelvic angle and when you see the graphs you see all the ranges different and i could see that i i was stiff on the right side of the field the system shows you directly and this is good for like coaches and that when they want to know if if the rider is ready to go back into training or if the rider has some type of injury or tight muscle you can see it um it's just opened up a whole category of what you can see and test and it's um yeah it's a pretty cool device. I I I, I, I like it a lot. Very good. You see, when I saw GBMIs, and that's maybe like ten years ago when we started, and I, I saw it at, at Eurobike, and I 
um, I always struggled to obviously see what happening between the body of the rider and the saddle. And the same, we got it for the foot interface. So we could look inside the, the shoes and we could see what happens there. How is the power uh, implementation into the ride and what happens inside the foot and maybe what insoles you use. And it was really like kind of a, um, uh, just a re um, relief. I could say, okay, now I understand what happens. Yeah? And we learned so much about, as you said, pelvic rotation and, and the motion of, of pelvic movement and so on. So we could see really, suddenly we understand why people have problems on saddles and why they kind of, uh, Go, go create a lot of power, but don't, mo don't move. So it was really, really interesting. And the same I feel with Leoma, obviously, because you can use it as well when you are riding and you can use it outside, which was before with certificate with all the other, with the other things. Yeah, so I'm, I'm quite excited about it as well. Yeah, it's exactly how you said. Like, <clears throat> I feel like when I'm fitting riders, a lot of riders have problems, but they don't know why. Yes. And gee, by my eyes, you can see it directly. And it's nice, it's nice to show the rider the data and the, the, the biggest benefit with Lima is you can take it out in the races. And I use them in the races a lot. And you can see the numbers. You can see when you're fatigued. Um, where I'm doing a webinar next week where I can really pinpoint of when you're doing like high torque training, what is too much? Because at the moment, we base torque training on FTP. And FTP is just a measurement of fitness. It's got nothing to do with muscular strength or something like that. Where we're using the Lima now to see, okay, when you're doing low high torque works or low cadence, <clears throat> we see you capture your body and if your body is if you start riding like this to do you know 40 cadence then it's too hard for you <clears throat> and we can really pinpoint exactly okay this is what you should be doing this is good for the coach but they say okay that was too hard for the rider because you should not be like <laughs> riding like this or moving too much and um yeah it really it's just a different way of training and it's more i think more accurate do you use an aeropod like a wind like these little uh, pipes to measure resistance and the CDA while you're riding? Have you tried this? No, I've, I've seen it. Um, I've seen one of them. Uh, and I've always wanted to get my hands on it, but I haven't really, haven't really tried it yet. I'd, I'd like to have a look into it more, but it's, um, it, for me, it's, um, I don't know if it's like, I'm always skeptical of something like this, but then I think if they release it, it's got, it's got to have something behind it because they actually release it as a product. Yes. No, we have this as well. So I'm, I'm, I was well kind of interested in all these things. So we got the, the BioRacer AeroFit, we got these, these um, AeroPods, which I think work really, uh, it's really interesting information. Obviously, you can, you can see a live CDA um, when you're riding because obviously it measures the wind speed, it measures the power, it measures the gradient of the road you're riding on, and you have to obviously calibrate the system. But that obviously in combination with Leomo uh, would give you as well an aerodynamic uh, feedback. So I think that that would be super cool. And we got recently, I, I, we ordered like a, stt 3d cameras so we have a, a four cameras where we can measure everything so i think when you come next time to dubai we have to spend a couple of hours in the shop and, and play around with some some of the new toys we have sounds good yes have you heard about amp lotion have you heard about this uh, lotion to reduce lactic acid buildup no okay maybe something new we learned now you, you heard it here first amp, AMP lotion, lotion. MP lotion, yeah. I would okay. send. It. Yeah, it's really, really good. Yeah. yeah. I want to speak about your shoes because I think that's that's super exciting. And we today we were speaking in the office, and I think the shoes weigh about seventy gram. And we figured out, and Robert said um, that an empty five hundred milliliter water bottle, one of the lighter ones, weighs seventy mm -hmm. grams. So if you if you if you don't believe how light these shoes are, take an empty water bottle, and you can see this is unbelievably light. Yeah. Tell us how yeah. this uh, foot fetish and shoe fetish 
<clears throat> yeah, um, it's yeah, it's uh, it's lots like a Mars bar. It's, um, <clears throat> yeah, well, I have um, I actually had a problem with my um, with my foot, and that's why I started it because of a, of a bone. You see, it probably more with this bone here sticking out. Okay. okay, yes. And back in the olden days, there used to be a ratchet system here. Yes, I, I don't know if you remember. Yes. And that was always on my bones. I always wanted to make my own shoe. And I always wanted to make it lighter as possible, obviously. And then, um, yeah, once you can make it super light. Like for this, this one here is a, it's a prototype I made years ago. And this is, uh, this one's, um, I think it's 62 grams or something. But there's no carbon on the top. It's full Kevlar. And it's just, uh, yeah, just a prototype. Um, but yeah, there. For me, it's I get the I, I, I cheat a little because you know the bond shoe is like a bathtub design. Yes. And when you have a bathtub design, it's like to give an example, a normal shoe has a flat sole. And a flat sole has got no stiffness at all. And a bond shoe is bathtub. And you see directly, you know, I can put weight there and it holds it. Mm -hmm. Because of the walls, that creates a stiffness. Yes. And with my shoe, I cheat a lot because my shoes like that and yes. that creates a lot more stiffness and when i have something like that i can use less material that's how i can get it so light so because i have that extra because you can see the soles they really come all the way to this can you see this faint line there <clears throat> and that's where i get it. and this is my new prototype shoe i'm doing at the moment where now it's all one piece so it's full slipstream um and the the back comes on through the back and this is a locking mechanism and you don't even see any seam so it's really um and with this i can because it's now it's like a tube like a bike frame i can use less material and get it even lighter and far more stiffer and you have the, the actual sides of the sole come all the way over here um so my new shoes and i hope to finish this one before um the Giro this year and so it's going to be a full seamless shoe and you know, at the same time, I'm testing different cleat positions. So I have the different yes. cleat positions because that's something else I want to test. Um, in the end, I won't have the mechanism at the back. I'm going to have it just directly underneath the cleat here. But I, I want it really like there's no seams at all on all, all corners. Um, but yeah, it's, it's once again when we're talking about problem solving and that, you know, it's for me, it's like this is the product that I wanted to build, and it's just the methods because with when you do carbon fiber work there's so many ways to doing it it's like you know you can do wet layup um you can use prepaid carbon you can do it in onion form different um uh like different stages in that um and it's just like just trying to work out the best method and the best best material to use and yeah to try and like I, I love it i love this type of work and problem solving and and but always a problem i have is like, like i finished something like this and then as soon as i started i'm like ah this is a better method and then i you know i try and create new molds again and um yeah it's i've always got different ways and i've got like three other different ideas i want to do but i've got to finish this one first before i start the next one so you need another COVID lockdown in order to have enough time uh, <laughs> yes i do otherwise the shoes haven't been wouldn't been ready but you yeah. have to isn't it the UCI role that you have to make it commercially available in order mm -hmm. to use it? So you, you're selling the shoes? Well, yeah, I advertise them and I have um, a few people that do. So I'm actually making shoes for two people at the moment. Um, okay. and, I, and I can't say the names yet. <laughs> um, so I, 
and I, I try and avoid it as much as possible because it's it's not an easy thing to do. Um, because it's it's really it's really your foot. It's really like it's hard to see because I'm but you see all the bones of, of your foot sticking out. It's really you know it's the, the arches of your foot. It's really it's really a sock of your foot. And this is it's not easy to do. It's really not easy to do. Like you can see the bone lumps and everything. For me, it's easy because you know I'm at my workshop. I can make adjustments straight away. Um, to do it someone else, it's yeah, it's it's a lot a lot harder than people think. Um, so I, I prefer not to. But when people ask and put pressure on me, okay, I have to do it because it's UCI rules. I try and put the price up super high, and I still get requests for it. Um, but yeah, it's it's but you know it's it, with the UCI rules, it's it's a bit hard to understand it properly because they say bicycle equipment and it's hard to see if you know shoes fit in equipment because shoes could be clothing and yes. i know you cannot buy some of our time trial suits this yes. is not available to the public so i just have it there just to be safe and if someone really wants it okay then i, I would do it very cool very good we work with lake and i think they really go as well a long way with different shoe molds and everything and trying to to accommodate and really i feel they understand feats quite well uh, not obviously as custom made as yours, uh, but I think this is nice and we're working with different insole uh, manufacturers. So we feel as well, shoes is something as well for many people really all under, undervalued and under, um, yeah, not, not paying enough attention to it. But we feel if the base is not right, then it, it doesn't really work. And we learned a lot in the last years as well, um, yeah. with, together with our friends from Jubiomice and Lake about feet and, and cycling and, and the shoes and stuff. Yeah, really yeah I like are very good and they're very, um, in the peloton there's a lot of guys saying they really like the lakes and how they really adapt to the rider a lot very cool um who do you feel is your biggest supporter from from the teams or from your family who supports you with all these all these things well my biggest supporter would be my mum <laughs> that's for sure um but if you're talking about uh me doing all these little uh things um I think the well, definitely the riders in the team. They they full support. They love it. They love it when I come to the race and have something new and different idea. And um, I know Victor Kampenarts. He's always on me. With, like, what are you working on now? And what should I be doing? And how do I do this in altitude training? And how do I build a sauna? And he's doing like heat, um, yeah, um, heat training also. And so I, you know, there's it's nice when you have guys like this that you know really want to know more and really try and absorb information from you um, a lot of young guys also in the, in the teams they also they also like they pick my brain quite a lot um, and it's good because I think um, like I wish I wish I listened more when I was younger um, definitely I think I, I have this I have this this this, this uh, theory that anyone that's older than you knows more that's just that's just what I think and even in their wrongness they know more um, and whenever I'm with an older person I just try and just talk with them as much as possible and just try and get as much information out of them as possible because I just think anyone that's older than you just experience more in life and they just, even in their wrong, even if they're wrong in what they're thinking, they have a reason where they got to that path, if you understand yeah. me. And, and it's right in that sense. And, that, and that's why they think like that. And it's, um, but yeah, so I really admire older people and um, well, people that just experience lots, you know, it doesn't have to be older, but I think you can always learn something from anyone. Very good. If you had a time machine, would you go forward in time or would you go backwards and, and fix a few things? Well, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, 
I could definitely go back and fix a lot of things. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> All the mistakes I've made in life. Um, so yeah, I definitely could. Um, I'd love to go back and speak to the 22 year old of myself. I would. Um, yeah, I remember my father used to say, "If I knew what you, if I knew what I know now at your age, my life would be so different." You know, I think a lot of people have heard this. Their parents say that, and they're like, "Man, you know, you can't, you can't learn so much." But when I think of it now, I was like. It's so true. It is so true. You know, thinking how naive I was at the age of 22, it's, it's crazy. I have my 22-year-old daughter, daughter sitting next to me, so uh, I, I tell you. Like, uh, 100% it's true. 100% it's true. Do you have a, a strange habit? Um, anything people would say about you, all your teammates, what would they say? What's the strange habit of Adam Hansen? We will ask, I, I will ask Andre maybe. Yeah, maybe, yeah, <laughs> you might know. <laughs> and do you have a party trick or any special skill uh, when you when you sit on a dinner table, anything you could show off when you, what would you uh, do? I'm an introvert, I'm really an introvert. I try and stay low and just listen. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> if you had a, you could change uh, your life with a, with a famous person or any person in the world for one day, you could live their life. Is there one person uh, you, would, you would love to change that? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know. Um, can it be a, a non, can it be a non-real character? Anything. A non-real, whatever. Yes. Tony Stark. I'd love to just be in his workshop for a day. That'd be cool. <laughs> okay. okay, very cool. Working on the computer. Very cool. Um, we have gone all through COVID-19 and obviously we learned a few things. What, what, do you, what will you take away from COVID-19? What do you want to keep? Um, what you have learned in these last couple of months? Um, I, sad to say, but I really enjoyed um, the lockdown. I think, um, I think the world is too fast today and we're I think in some sense we're, we're not living life. We're sort of just moving too fast and not realizing, you know, the, the now time. And um, especially with coronavirus, I, I, it was nice how the world just stopped and we could just really focus on now. And um, it was nice just to catch up on life. And I just noticed life was just going way too fast. So I think um, I think this is, for me, I, I really enjoyed lockdown. I, it was probably, uh, sad to say, it was probably the best two months of my life. Um, just I just felt real free, you know what I mean? You, you, you had no deadlines, you could just do what you want when you want to, um, you could catch up on life. So I think this is I think this is one thing I took away from it. Another thing I took away from it is I think people, some people, I don't want to say too many people, some people are a bit too spoiled in life. And I notice how, you know, like they were so like lockdown is horrible and how can they force us to do this and and, and they were comparing the situation to like, you know, the World War II and things like this. And I was just like, whoa, like we're stuck in our homes. That's true. We could go to the shop. But back in those days, you step out of your home, you get shot. It's different. It's a totally different situation. Um, you know, it's uncomparable. And I just felt like, I don't know, some people, you know, they, they just, you know, it's during lockdown, you're saving the world by staying at home. You're helping out. You know, if you understand me, and you're helping yourself, your family, and really others. You're helping the world, and it's 
he was like, it wasn't even that long. It was like six weeks or something in, in some places. And to see how some people really reacted so negatively towards it. And that was just like, it's six weeks of your life to save thousands of people's lives. You know, it's, it's such a small task. And, and, you know, some people really benefit from it, like spending time, like a lot of the families with children, they could spend time with the kids and just have that real, you know, family moments. This is nice. Um, yeah. So I saw this side of it and, yeah, I think it's, um, I think we needed this, I think the world needed this, this push okay. to the human race, like I think you're pushing the world too much. Very good. Uh, who do you follow on Instagram? Is there anyone out there who inspires you and you follow them and you feel, yeah, you feel inspired by them? Yeah, I'm on these, I'm, 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 I don't like social media platforms, I'm not very good at them. I, 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 I know I should be more active and, and if you do follow me, you see that I go through stages where I do quite a lot because I should and then I sort of go off it because um, I always, you know, like I always say to people that um, there's two type of people on Instagram. There's one people that are creating their life and there's one people that are following someone else's life. And I think um, I think it's good to have someone where you're motivated from and, you know, you're like, oh, I want to do that and you get ideas and, you know, yeah. you can learn something from it. But I feel <clears throat> too many people are just living someone else's life. And I, and I know for me, I don't want to be that person where I just follow someone. I want to be that person that lives that life. And I, I should I should post more on Instagram because I think, I think a lot of things I do would interest people. Yes. Um, but in that sense, I don't actually spend a lot of time following people. I know I follow people, but I don't really, I'm not on Insta, Twitter or Instagram. I have no Facebook. Um, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to live that life, if that makes sense. And I try and share a bit of my life a bit, but I, I don't do it as much as I should, or as people would like. But it's just, it's, it's, it is very time consuming. And, and for me, it's, if I, like, I don't know if I work on my shoes, it's like I can spend one or two hours a day, but if I was to post information about it, it would take me an extra one or two hours also to do the videoing, set up the cameras, and it's a lot of work. And I'd rather, you know, spend that time in a different project, for example. Very cool. So, so, during the lockdown, did you watch a movie you really enjoyed or did you watch a series? Anything stood out for you? Well, I watched The Last Dance, I have to say that. Okay, yes. Yeah. From this is Michael Michael Jordan. Yeah, and it was for me. It was I loved it because I I was playing basketball throughout high school. Um, I've always been a huge Michael Jordan fan and Shaquille O'Neal. That was a, the actually when the Last Dance was on. That's when I was really watching basketball. Back in those days, in Australia, we had to wait until like I think it was ten o'clock on Saturday morning. We would get one hour of um, television of um, the NBA, and I was you know every morning every sorry every Saturday morning I was there watching it. And I could see over the years, everyone forgot Michael Jordan. And it was more like, you know, LeBron and um, Brian Corbin and that. And I was like, yeah, but Jordan is so much better. And when, when they showed the last dance, it was like, yeah, it was really, I, I feel like I keep watching TV again. Um, and I actually have a basketball card collection. And I didn't realize how many Jordan cards I had. I have like, I think I have like two or 300 different Jordan cards. And Shaquille O'Neal's and uh, yeah, and I was going through them again, and uh, yeah, it was, it was actually it was super nice to watch. Very good. And now you're 39 years young. Um, how many more grand tours you're going to add to the 25 uh, collection? Is it you? You make another uh, three of them this year? No, but that's very challenging. Is it now they're so close together? So how many more years do you think you're going to have in the Pro Peloton? 
I don't know. Um, I think I've probably got at least three more years I could do. Um, but I'm just taking year by year. I've got other ambitions also. So it's a bit hard to like sort of balance it. Um, I, I'd like to, I'd like to give Ironmans a crack. And I know I love cycling. I really love cycling and I love cycling a lot, but I've always wanted to do Ironman. And I just feel every year I do another year in cycling, I take a year off being competitive in Ironman. And I really like to try and race pro in Ironman. And for me, it's, <clears throat> I am running out of years. I'm, I'm aware of this. And, and the thing is, I love cycling and do another year of cycling and, you know, lose the best years of my life in Ironmans is, um, yeah, so I don't really know which direction I go. I'm just, um, I just see how things go. And with the, with the coronavirus, I think maybe, maybe now is a good time to do the change. Um, only because I think, because of the situation now, one day races are more likely to happen than stage races. And I mm. think it's very difficult, you know, to be, you know, like I'll be doing the Giro this year and they're going to test us I think um, every six days or something. And I don't know clearly what they're going to do if there's a positive ride with COVID, if everyone goes home or the team goes home or um, it's, 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 it's hard how they're going to do it. And if there's a second wave, you know, this is also very difficult where I think one day race is very easy. You go to the race, if you're negative, you go, you compete and then you go home. And if you catch it there, it's okay because you go home and then you can you know, get it out of your system and go to another one day race. And how I see with triathlons and Ironmans, the same thing. I think, um, and also Ironmans, I heard like we had one in the Czech Republic two weeks ago where they didn't do a mass start. They did every two minutes for rather okay. uh, athlete would go. And this is, you know, this is a lot easier to do. Um, yes. So I'm just going to see how it goes with this season. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll see. But I think I could yeah, definitely race three more years and um, maybe go for the record of the most amount of Grand Tours ever. I have to see. Very good, fantastic. Now we're looking forward. Um, I have a few short sentences and I start them and you, you, if you don't mind if you finish them, please. I wish I had... More time. More time. It's too early to... Stop cycling. A perfect day is... When I've had a good training session. Okay, nice. The greatest cyclist of all time? Ooh, greatest cyclist of all time. Oh. Um, uh, Mark Cavendish, Peter Sagan, and one GC rider. Um, Chris, well, no, I'm going to say Bradley Wiggins for everything. He's, he's done the hour, he's done the Tour de France, he's done track he's got a lot of olympic medals it's probably bradley Wiggins. very good the biggest upcoming talent in cycling biggest up talent in cycling well it's so hard now there's so many there's so many of them yeah i don't know next okay if you write a book about your career what is going to be the title Um, things you didn't know. Things, sorry, I, I didn't get it. Things you did not know. Things you do not know. About me. About, about Adam Hansen. Do you have a favorite quote? Favorite quote? 
Uh, yes. the, the world keeps spinning. Very good. And that just means no matter what happens, the world always keeps spinning. If bad things happen to you, just be positive and move on because the world, the world doesn't stop. The world will always keep going. And if you go to karaoke, which song would you sing? Um, oh. <laughs> A, B, C, D, E, F, G. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure if you, you're not going to win a prize with that. Okay, but <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Very good. If you had one piece of advice you could give to, to the viewers about cycling, about anything, what would it be? Um, well, I think um, maybe don't, don't, don't be so concerned what other people think. Okay. Yeah. And then, then you're more free and then you're more, you'll be more experimental and you'll be more believing in yourself. Mm -hmm. Good, I like that, yes. Um, Adam, I want to be respectful of your time. I think you just came from a training ride. You just jumped into the shower and, and joined us here. It was really exciting for me because uh, I had a lot of questions and you answered quite a few of them, but uh, you saw my list before. It was quite long. Um, and I hope we're going to see us uh, in Dubai and maybe we can go out for dinner and we can talk or we can play with all the toys and all the measurement equipment we have in the, in the shop. Uh, I would really, really enjoyed it. I know you sometimes stay for a couple of weeks in in uh, the UE, so it would be great to see you. And we're looking forward to see you racing again. I wish you all the best and best regards to John uh, Degenkolb and all the team. And um, we're really excited to, to see you guys back racing and we wish you all the best. And we hope you're adding many more Grand Tours to the to the 25 uh, you already done. And and yeah, you're, you're a special person in the peloton. So, so well done for keeping us excited with your shoes and everything you're doing. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And for sure, we're going to go out to dinner next time in UAE. So I hope maybe in, um, well, it's going to be busy during the season. And, you know, when the borders open up and everything from me to you, um, maybe in November. Yeah, fantastic. fantastic. Good. Just let me Thank know you. when you're coming. Very good. It would be great. Yeah, let me know. Um, next week we have, you know, Gunda Court. I'm sure you know. Yes. Have, yeah, uh, he is next week on, on the show. And I'm really looking forward to seeing him. He's a funny guy. Uh, looking forward to all the stories he has to tell. Uh, so next next uh, Wednesday, uh, 7 o'clock Dubai time, we have on, uh, on the show. So uh, as well, a very established rider in the peloton. And I think very respected, a really good guy. So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, he is. He's a good guy. He, he'll be more easy. He's a funny guy. He's good. He's good quality. Good. Thank you. Thank you so much, Adam. Yeah, I wish Thank you the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Thank you. Just a moment. I have to get myself.